Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Mark Boris and this is Straight Talk. On today's episode, is Australian basketball great? Andrew Bogan. He spent most of his career playing for the NBA and up until recently finished it at the NBL right here in Australia. But I can't say that we're going to talk much about basketball today because right now Australia is feeling the grip of the second wave of COVID-19 lockdowns while the rest of the world fills up massive stadiums. That's right, massively filled with people. Sure, you might argue that we're at the tail end of being cooped up in the homes, inching closer to this so-called Freedom Day. But what about the lasting effect? it's going to have on small businesses, the unemployed and school-aged kids. Andrew is one of the few people who has used his platform to speak up about the unequal impact of lockdowns. And he says other athletes are being told to keep quiet about their thoughts. Well, I'll have to say goodbye to their contracts. Now, I'm not here to feed conspiracy theories, not at all. But we've been doing this for almost two years now. So surely there's room for a much less abstract approach, a more real approach. And by the way, what the hell has this done to my rights as an Australian citizen? It's time for No Bullshit with Andrew Bogan. Andrew Bogan, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know I'm not going to stuff around with uh, all this. I mean, what attracted me to talking to you, apart from you being, you know, a, a wonderful athlete for Australia and, you know, and, and being at the top of your game for a long, long time and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I'm not here to pat you on the back or to be part of your cheer squad. You don't need that. You've got plenty of people who've been doing that for a long, long time and you've probably got, you know, plenty to uh, reflect how well you've done in terms of money and assets and, you know, position, et cetera. What I, I want to talk to you about is uh, your rant recently. Um, your, I think it's like an 11-minute rant. Um, I listened to it again yesterday. You said something in that rant that resonated with me that's really important and it's you talked about growing up as a kid, your parents, how they might have been affected by all this rubbish that's going on, these lockdowns and the, the net effect of these lockdowns on people and their people's lives and livelihoods. I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about where did Andrew Boga come from? Yeah, so my grandparents migrated from um, Croatia, former Yugoslavia at the time. Um, so they came out to Australia, actually tried to get into Canada, but my grandfather wasn't granted asylum or given a visa because he was, he was too old for the cutoff at the time. So Australia was the next best thing. We had cousins here and that's how kind of the heritage came over here. Um, 
and then my mother and father met separately here, both Croatian, met at just your Croatian um, community clubs and dances that they had on weekends and stuff like that and met there. And yeah, my father um, worked many jobs as a young fella, um, mainly labouring in factories and warehouses. Um, he said he had over 20 jobs in a year, one year. He said, it, you know, which actually was a separate rant, took, took him back to how prosperous Australia once was um, economically, you know, um, just so much work out there if you wanted to work. So anyhow, he ended up starting his own business at, at 19, 20 years old as a carburetor and fuel injection specialist, um, kind of a specialist mechanic, um, you could say. And my mother ended up working for him and being the um, the driver. So what my mother would do, she would drive to, you know, all your chain mechanics, you know, um, ultra-tune, those kind of mechanics that had no idea about doing carburetors to the extent my dad did. They'd remove the carburetor. My mum would go pick it up, bring it back to my dad. He'd refurbish it, fix it, and then she'd drop it back off, and that was kind of life for, for them. So I guess part of that rant was um, we, we wouldn't be deemed essential um, in today's times, which is, uh, you know, it's pretty scary if you think that far back. It's, it's interesting. Um, uh, it, it, I'd like to make one observation. Um, Everybody I've ever known who come out of Yugoslavia, um, either particularly Croatians, all really big, like tall, <laughs> like it's like. And I did a bit of research and I saw that Serbian men, on average, are the tallest men in the world. Um, uh, in Serbia, Croatia, I mean, I don't, I don't want to mix the two, but they are close. They are you know, oh, next door neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> probably, the, probably the same genetic pool, uh, in in most part. Um, and. And they're generally speaking quite good athletes, and and also my experience with people from that area, they're quite um, forthright in the in their opinions, and uh, and they they put it out there. They they say what they think. Is that something you grew up with as a as a kid? Did you see that in your family? Did people were people sort of forthright? They didn't hold back. Yeah, of course. Um- Part of your upbringing is who you are, right? So I saw my father was big on, you know, if he was asked a question, you, you answer it honestly. Um, he wasn't one to give the answer that he thought somebody wanted to hear. And that's a good thing at times and a bad thing in today's society. But I, I'd rather that 10 times out of 10 to know where you stand on something. But today that would be called overly opinionated or whatever it is, but I'd take that person any day over the person that tells you what you want to hear, but you don't know their true motive. So, you know, I can't, I can't crap for it. Like you can ask me about anything and even stuff that I'm not qualified to talk about as person in today's society, but I'll give you an answer of what I think. doesn't mean I'm right. The word I picked up is honesty. Um, it might not be right or it might not be, it might not be what um, the greater number of people believe in, but it, at, nonetheless it's, it's honesty and it seems to me that one of the things in our in the fabric of society today that we don't have anymore, which is the fabric of society that you grew up with, and it's definitely the fabric of society which I'm, you know, I'm a different generation to you, but it's the fabric of society that I grew up in. I mean, I are you from Sydney, by the way? Are you Sydney boy, Melbourne, Melbourne, Melbourne boy. So from the Sydney west suburbs of Sydney, which is probably the, you know there'd be an equivalent down in Melbourne. Um, that's how you grew up. You grew up being honest. If nothing else, you were honest about what your opinion was, right or wrong. It doesn't matter. You said what you think. I mean, I come from a, a similar sort of – I come from a, a Greek background, but nonetheless, um, and Irish, which, my God, they're, they're so forthright, it's ridiculous. Um, um, my mother's Irish. So, you know, yeah. we were told, you know, you said what you think. 
and there is no way in the world that you should deviate from that. And don't compromise yourself. Honesty is one of the most important traits. Um, do you think um, the way we live our lives today is far too sanitised and we're thinking too much about what someone else would be, what someone else is thinking, worried about what their what their view is and we sanitise it so much that ultimately what we say is not dishonest but not fully honest? Oh, without a doubt, I think it's blatantly obvious. Not only that, I'd even one after that that say that then there's blatant lies that are told that people end up believing is truths. That's that's where we're at, you know, um, because at times people are going to be offended by the truth and um, numbers on things and data and, and, and consensus sometimes don't lie and, and they can be harsh. But also with the truth or your truth sometimes is being okay with being wrong or not completely right. And I think that's, that's the other thing that's lost in society is like – if you fail or are wrong or it's that ridicule that people are so scared of and that shame, they're almost more scared of that than being caught in the lie. And that's that's concerning in society. I think um, as you would know with your business history and being very successful in the business world is, you know, no businessman ever make it without some failures and some mistakes along the way because it's the harshest critic. It's the way you learn from something immediately. Um, if you have someone in your corner that's telling you what you want to hear and you know, quote unquote, lying to you and just pumping you up, you're eventually going to, you know, face a harsh reality, right? Um, whereas if you have someone in your corner that's telling you you've made a mistake before you've made it, that's 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 gold. That's invaluable. But that's that's kind of gone today. And I give you know some public speaking um, seminars at times, and my biggest thing is like failure is a really useful tool if it's used right um, because it's it's brutally honest and it can be harsh, but it's brutally honest and you can get back to square one as soon as you fail. Um, and, and if you're smart and you're driven, you know, you essentially write down how and why you think you failed in that business or that that idea or that sporting event or that game. And then you reassess and you try to work on some skills to make sure it doesn't happen again. That's where I think as a society we, we steer away from that and it's kind of it's kind of embarrassing um, to, to fail, you know, and I think we need to kind of change our mindset as a society around that. Did you ever, as a professional... Did you ever get confronted with failure and and um, and try and cover that failure up? Oh, there was numerous times you failed, and the harshness of professional sport is there's only one winner at the end of the night. We play 82 games in a season plus playoffs, so you're, you're failing a lot of those games essentially um, by definition because you're losing. So um, it, it makes you kind of as an athlete, you have to then refocus onto the next thing. That's probably the best um, mindset to have is when you fail, you reassess it after the game, after a bad game, you watch a bit of tape, you talk about why we lost and then you refocus once you wake up that next morning. You don't you don't forget about it completely, but you try to refocus on the next game. That was the beauty of the NBA because we had, you know, three, four, five games a week sometimes. So you didn't have too much time to dwell, um, but you definitely need to address it and it's just – it's just one of those things that comes with time. But I've failed numerous times, you know, um, and that's that's a part. If you're an athlete and you say you haven't failed in games, you haven't missed shots, you haven't made an important play late in the game where you forgot a coverage or you forgot a, a principle that you've drilled um, that could cost a team a game, and that's happened to all of us. It's how you're going to bounce back from that. And at times I've bounced back well, and at times it's taken me probably longer than it should have because you're still in the past. So um, it's a work in progress, and that's – you know, that, that's kind of a skill in itself is to try and, you know, channel that into, into a positive without completely forgetting about it. But it, it, so in terms of applying your honesty principle, 
you know, that it's part of the fabric. That's that's a, some of the fabric that was laid down for Andrew Boga by his family and and by his you know his broader family. You know, the village he lived in. Um, did you apply honesty to yourself when you failed? I mean, did you, I mean, and how do you how do you do? It? Because the reason I say this is because you just said you might play three times a week. So that's your eleven a.m. meeting. If I can, if I can draw an equivalent to the the, the politicians that meet every day at eleven a.m. Meet us every day at eleven a.m. and and Andrew didn't have time really to dwell too much on his failures. Um, he just had to be honest about it and pick himself up. Either, either that or he's going to fail again. Um, but it seems to me that our politicians meet us every day. That's their that's their main game. That's their game every every day. Uh, they're they're never prepared to admit any failure. That's my gut feeling. They're not prepared, and and they're so it's so bad, Andrew, that I think that they say, you know what? There's no way we're going to admit we made a mistake. Because for them, a failure is a mistake. Making a mistake a policy. They're never going to admit a mistake. And what they do is they actually double down, and they they fucking keep they 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 drive us, and the and the outcome is us. I mean, they drive us more into that failure, that more into that mistake. And they just keep driving us and driving us into that mistake. So how did you apply the honesty yourself? And what would you say to, you know, some of these state premiers and and or federal government, um, how they should now approach themselves, how they should step back and say, you know, how, how, assess yourself? Or do you think we should wait until the election comes where we can actually piss them off completely? Well, that, that's my point exactly is you got to be okay with making mistakes as a society. We have to understand the politicians are human and they're going to make mistakes, but you hit it on the head. They're, they're in too deep now. Um, they're, they're past, you know, anything that's moderate or, or maybe we can tweak these ideas. That us in Australia, we're so all into zero COVID or were for the last 17, 18 months. They, they can't politically and strategically take a step back now. And we're at, we're at their peril as people. So they can't now go, oh, you know what? We were a little too aggressive with the way we handled things, which they clearly are, because it's going to hurt their election in, in nine, ten months. So the virus, this is the first virus in history that's be, that's had political sides, you know, and that's the harshness of this. You're playing with people's lives, but they don't care. I mean, and that this isn't a liberal Labor or left right. This is both sides of politics, even 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 independence at times. They're just in too deep now. They've gone past the line. They can't they can't backtrack now because the house of cards is going to fall down. And like you said, not only do they not backtrack, these, idiot, these morons double down. They double down on the rhetoric. They double down on the fear-mongering. They double down on scaring people. I mean, you look at Sydney on the weekend, you look at you look at photos of, of um, and videos of Bondi and the beaches, and I, I'm not condemning those people whatsoever. Get out and enjoy the beach and the fresh air. But then there's people in the southwest that go for a walk and there's a chopper above their head with the, with the loudspeaker telling them to get in their house. Um that's just a small example, but you could name countless ones here in Victoria and Queensland and, and Sydney and, you know, we need to have an open conversation. That's that's my biggest frustration with this. There's no open dialogue. Even in the media, it's all one-sided. It's all fear. It's all cases, 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 cases. Um, even with the deaths, you know, we don't get um, – you don't want anyone to die and I don't want people to, to think that I'm not sympathetic to people passing away, but – there's a big difference to a healthy 35, 40, 45-year-old passing away from coronavirus than there is someone with, with severe health issues already that they're battling or someone that's above 70, 80 years old. But we're not told that. It just goes into a number of, oh, there's 20 deaths. I think if we can understand that politicians are going to make mistakes, great. But I, I think they're so scared about getting voted in the next election 
that that's all they're worried about now. And the scary thing is here, at least, you know, at least in the states of Victoria, I think Queensland just had their election, but Victoria for sure is there's an election in, in less than a year. And, and now all those chips are pushed to the table to strategize to get reelected rather than help the people get out of this absolute crisis that's going on right now. Could you, you said something really interesting. You said, put it on the table. In other words, let's sort of have the debate. Maybe not quite a debate, but let's have a discussion anyway, like as to the protocols about around lockdowns in, say, like in Sydney, the example we just gave, people at Bondi or live in these suburbs can go to the Bondi Beach of Bondi, one of the beaches around there. They can get outdoors. They can have fresh air. It was a beautiful hot day on the weekend. Whereas people in the west suburbs of Sydney have got, as you said, got helicopters buzzing about them, people, uh, coppers running around on, on horseback. Um, and, you know, by the way, the police don't want to have to do this shit either, by the way. They don't want to have to be, you know, hauling people over there and finding them 500 bucks because they didn't wear a mask. I mean, police want to do proper police work, not not this sort of shit. And uh, you said put it on the table. Are you saying that we, all of us, we, we deserve a seat at the table in the discussion around how these lockdowns and how all these measures and protocols should work? Because I've been asking for a long time, where is the seat at the table for small business owners in Australia? Why, who are you consulting to? I mean, Premier, do you sit down and talk to uh, your Minister for Small Business and your Treasurer and, you know, one or two bods in Parliament about what you should be doing for small businesses or you've actually ever gone out and spoke to a small business owner or representative of the small business community in the western suburbs? Not the Chamber of Commerce, not the Business Council of Australia who are made up of, you know, wealthy people and big wages, but some guy who's a, a shoemaker, you know, a, a shoe repairer in, in Bankstown in Sydney or uh, somebody who's got a mechanic shop or your dad who's, uh, you know, fixes carburetors from his garage or his shed at the back of his home. Have you gone and spoken to them? What net effect is this lockdown going to have on you and your family and all your community? Are you saying, Andrew Bogart, that business owners and people who are affected um, by this crisis of lockdown should have a seat at the table? Well, first off, I just like a discussion, an open discussion. You know, we see these um – talking heads on media, you know, discussing the numbers every day. How about a discussion? Uh, I want to hear from someone that's heavy pro-lockdown and heavy anti-lockdown and have the debate, have open forums so people can hear both sides of the coin rather than just the fear-mongering. That's the first thing. But, yeah, small business is a big one. Um, parents, talking to parents, uh, I don't even think in the form of getting a member on. I think actually hearing people's stories, you know, the ridiculousness of these border closures. We're, we're essentially living in six or seven countries right now within a country, well, you hear stories about, you know, the example was from South Australia, I think it was six months ago now, two twin, two babies needed uh, life, you know, life-threatening heart, it was life-threatening heart, heart issues. They needed surgery in Victoria at the time. They couldn't get a permit to go from South Australia. They ended up dying. I mean, it's like, are you serious? You know, is this where we're at right now? Like we're going to, we're going to play politics with borders and then people are going to die when we're trying to, we're told every day by chief health officers and, Premiers alike that we're, we're saving lives. It's like, I don't, I don't think you are. I think this is clearly political. So it's it's just so frustrating um, because everyday people don't have a voice. You know, we know for a fact that you can see it clear as day, these big multinational companies that have government ends, they're being dictated to to put out, you know, you got companies like NAB and TAB changing their name to JAB. You know, like I'm all for, like, if you want to go get your JAB, go get it. If you don't, 
you have every right not to. I'm, I'm all pro-choice of that. But you can clearly see those co- companies have the leg up because they've got ins with government, whereas a small business owner, a medium business owner, um, everyday workers don't have that in. Their voices aren't heard. And, and the final thing I'd say about politicians and premiers, I think career politicians should be stopped um, immediately. I, I would, I would, if I was running the country, I'd put my Nostradamus hat on for the future and say, I would. I think career politicians shouldn't be a thing. I think you need to have some sort of skill outside of the, whether it's an arts degree or political science, whatever it is, you, you need to have some sort of skill in, in everyday life. Um, and I would, as important as that four, five, six, seven year degree is, I would have, you know, spitballing here, but I would have a prerequisite of you need to run your own business for four years. You need to, you need to understand what everyday people go through. And, and that's a barometer of if you can get into politics. If you run a profitable small business for four years, then you get to see the table of politics. If you don't, and at the end of that four years, you're in the negative, you don't get a seat. And then you can understand how hard it is for everyday people. On top of that, you know, these small business owners have two or three kids in school. They're trying to manage that now in homeschool. Um, you know, and you feel for those people in the, you know, demographic that doesn't have money. They're not in nice houses like you and I. They're not in houses that there's space to get to escape for an hour for the mum to get a break or the dad to get a break. It's a two-bedroom unit in southwest Sydney or where I'm from in Dandenong where the walls are basically touching. You can hear someone go for a for a piss, excuse my language, but you can hear the you know the piss falling in the water because the house is so small, the unit's so small. Then you're meant to you know, do your work, whether you're doing it remotely by email or Zoom calls or whatever, then you're meant to homeschool your child, then you're meant to get a bit of rest for your own mental sanity. Like, it's impossible. And you're just, you're just going to erode people mentally. And, you know, I'm really concerned about, um, you know, might not see it today, but the, the long-term effects mentally of this on society, both in kids and adults and parents alike, it's just not right. Um, and then you also factor in domestic violence, you factor in kids that are in homes that probably aren't, um, the best space for them now that these kids would at least get 12 hours of the day at school to get away mentally and, and physically and, and kind of re- refresh themselves. And now, you know, those kids in abusive homes are copping it more. It's just like, where's all that factoring into, into your Doherty modeling and your, your Burnett institutes and all these kind of stuff. They don't factor any of that stuff in. And that's, that's what you can't really factor in with hard numbers right now. But I guarantee you, I've been saying this from the start, you, you do this in five years there's going to be massive long-term effects of of suicides, of businesses going under, of kids being abused, of, of whatever you want to, whatever box you want to tick, that we won't see today, like the virus. But we'll see that. And they'll bury it, though, Andrew. They'll they will never tell. They'll us. try their best, but you'll you you. I mean, they will. They'll, they'll try their best. They'll probably be a different political party in by then, so it might get spoken about. Who knows? But yeah, they'll, they'll do their best to try and hide it. But that's what we're not we're not talking about. It's just the all-in model of. You know the virus, the virus, the virus, the virus. It's like, well, there's there's other things going on in the world, and I, I get, you know, it is a concern um, with the virus. But another thing on the virus is these premiers go out there and talk, like you said, every day with them. I call them the Hollywood performances they put together at 11 a.m. Not once have they gone up there and told us what to do if you contract the virus, besides run to the hospital. Like, yeah. how about some feedback around? You know, staying hydrated, make sure you're getting your eight hours sleep, make sure get in the sunlight for a bit, whatever it is. They're so so scared because oh, we shouldn't give health advice. Like, but yeah, you can you can fear monger pe- monger people. And the whole strategy around this is we don't want to back up our, our hospital system, our health system. We don't want to we want to make sure that there's beds available. Well, if you're not telling a 35 year old that's perfectly healthy, give them some here's some advice if you get it. What are they doing? They're running straight to hospital, and then they're clogging up the lines anyway. So I mean, it's just 
to me, it's just the whole thing is just mind boggling um, and really sad, especially when you see the rest of the world, you know, somewhat moving on from this and, and us in little old, the lucky country of Australia, you never thought you'd see the day. I, when I listened to your um, post the other day, listened and watched, um, one of the things I, I, I got out of it, and I, I just think it's, it's, it's spot on, um, is this point that influencers, celebrities, whatever, have been paid or and or haven't been paid but got out there and decided to do the government's bidding um, in relation to vaccinations, stay at home, whatever. I mean, they've, they've all, there's been a whole lot of them said a whole lot of different things. Um, to some extent, both you and I are what it's called, celebrated for whatever we've done, whatever the word is. I mean, I don't know. Um, we both take a different view, a point of view. In fact, I refused to do the government's bidding. Um, you have too, from what I, I listened to on your on your um, post. Um, and I did it because, in my opinion, I didn't agree with what was what was being asked of me and uh, what's being asked of society. Um, but equally, um, I didn't think it's my my it's not my place to get out there and tell people how to run their lives. It's just not my place. It's not my place to tell people to exercise their choice in a certain way. This is not an election, um, you know, where I might say, well, I'm going to vote Liberal or I'm going to vote Labor. This is why. Uh, it's not my place to be telling people you should get a vaccination or you shouldn't get a vaccination. It's not my place to tell people you should stay at home or you shouldn't stay at home because, quite frankly, I don't know. I, I don't – I can't say whether people should be staying. I don't know whether lockdowns is the right thing or the wrong thing. Time will tell whether or not this has all worked out the right way. Who knows? What do you think of people in your capacity, people like you and me to some extent, um, out there talking the government's talk? Look, to an extent I'm sympathetic to some because I think you take the sporting leagues, for example, the AFL, the NRL, they're heavily reliant on government and guess what? They're playing right now. They're all getting paid. So they, I know for a fact because some of them actually reached out to me silently that they've been told they're not allowed to comment on any of the handling around lockdowns, on, on what's going on. Um, they're not allowed to be critical of the government, social media and with the media because, hey, we're allowing you to play. You know, shut the fuck up toe the line or you're not getting your salary and playing in front of the people. So I get that to an extent because those people also need to put food on the table. Um, I think the, the the one that's hard is the people that toe every cause when it comes to easy politics. And what I mean by that is whatever's mainstream and trending, um, hashtag equality kind of stuff, they're the first ones to put a video out. You know, oh, we're full of people, you know, it's not fair, this, that, this, that. Where are you right now? those same people that you've been protesting for the last 10, 15 years or doing posts for or putting videos out for, they're the people living in Southwest Sydney. <laughs> like, they're the people that are greatly affected. And I haven't heard a peep. So it's not so much, you know, the government thing, we're going to judge people for taking money if, if they need that money for their kids and put food on the table to do a message for the government, whether they believe it or not, that's a separate conversation. It's more the science of the other people um, that know, oh, if I, if I come out and say something, that I believe is true and I'm trying to help these people that, that are struggling, I'm going to get bashed by my TV network, or radio network or a sponsor. And, and that's yeah. that's kind of, you know, look, I'm in a position where I'm, I'm very, very lucky and privileged. I'm towards the end of my career or what, I'm at the end of my career. So there's nothing you can really take from me. Um, look, I lose marketing deals. There's no doubt I lose potential media deals because of my views and because I'm outspoken, but I don't, I don't care. Um, and I'm in a unique position to do that. Some aren't, so that's why I don't judge them completely. But it's more the people that are 
are doubling down on this. Like, do what the government says, you know, stay home, you know, uh, do the right thing for the community. Mate, like, if, if you work for Jim's Mowing or you're a, you're a carpenter or a plumber, you can't, you can't do that shit from Zoom on your laptop. Like, are you serious? Like, and that's, that's what they don't understand. It's like, it's not as easy as being an influencer and being able to work from home. And you got to understand that. And they're the same people. That's what gets me. They're the same people that support athletes and celebrities. They're the ones buying my jerseys. You know, a hard-earned guy works a week, puts a bit of his salary aside to buy his son some Nike shoes or a jersey or come to a whether it's a Sydney Kings game or a Golden State Warriors game, they're the people that support you. The everyday middle class, generally the ones spending the money. And no one's no one's now voicing up for those people after they've supported these people for, you know, it's a century essentially. It's it's really disheartening to me. And that's that's what I struggle with. Being in business is fucking hard. And at the end of the day, all your time, effort, money, and sweat, and blood, and tears has got to amount to something. Since the beginning of this year, when I held my first masterclass, I have been sitting down and writing out my playbook, which I'm now sharing with you. Yeah, I've experienced some of the greatest business minds in this country. All of those experiences are in this playbook. I mean, I often have to think to myself when I did my rant um, some months ago, I was I was actually concerned about losing sponsors because I run a, you know, effectively a radio show, um, and I have sponsors, and uh, you know I have to respect the the you know the views of the sponsors. But I, at the end of the day, I, I felt so strongly about the issue about this this whole concept of us all being in it together, which I think is just total bullshit. We are not all in it together. Some are in it more than others, and I I call for governments to take a salary decrease. Um, no, rightly or wrongly, doesn't matter. I, I call for that. Um, and I really pissed off a lot of government officials and some government people who I know actually called me to talk to me about it. Um, but it was too late because I'd already put it out. Um, I was nervous about it. Um, but at the end of the day, I believe in it so much. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, I was so, I was so fucking angry. I, I was just angry. And, uh, and, then I, and I thought to myself, well, I feel angry. I can understand why people are writing and protesting, angry out the West, because they got a lot more to lose than I have. So I felt obliged to at least express my my unhappiness or anger in a post. Um, you're saying that um, there are a lot of people around who could have who could actually get out there and. Say- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
obey the view of the the greater majority, probably the greater majority, who aren't saying it at the moment and who are just sort of sitting on the sidelines. How do you weigh this up? I mean, at what point do you say, Mark, you should say something even if you're going to lose one of your major sponsors? How do how do we balance these things? That's tough. That, that, that's, a, that's a million dollar question for most people, but I think there comes a time in everyone's life and, and in human history where you know you got to stand up for what's right, and that can you're sometimes a sacrificial lamb. Like, and that's hard to say for some people that their whole you know earnings are based around you know media, social social media influencing and all that. But you know people know it's wrong. That's the difference. People know it's wrong, but they're still not coming out and saying anything because they're so afraid of, of their bottom line at the end of the financial year. And that's what you got to kind of take into account. You understand it to an extent. And, um, you know, the government, for instance, they have, you know, deeming people essential workers. You, you can see it quite clearly. The companies that are in bed with the government and toe the government line, they're getting much more exemptions than your average small business or someone that's outspoken. You know, um, I Paul Dimitina. I don't know if you know, familiar with Paul, but he was on my sh- uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago and he's been a vocal critic of, of Andrew's government and the handling of this and he owns some restaurants out here in Melbourne. And yeah, I know him well. Day, yeah. yeah, well, the day they called the snap lockdown, at, they called it a snap lockdown at 5 p.m. and the snap lockdown was starting at 8 p.m. His restaurant was open. He was trading. He closed at 8 p.m. but then had staff and family and whatever in his restaurant in the back room having a drink at the end of the night, you know, he broke down again, his anxiety issues and, and you know, obviously stressing about his business. They come in and give him a, give him a fine, $10,000 fine for trading, you know. So um, you can quite clearly see, you know, there's there's people that are in bed with government and aren't. And that in history has been done before and people don't like comparing it to what happened many, many years ago because of the deaths and the, um, the carnage that was involved. But these are the baby steps towards that. and. That's what people need to realize, especially when the government has that kind of power to just come and shut you up and find you and bully you. And we're seeing that, you know, all over Australia in, in different forms. And that's concerning. But it's just a matter of like, where are we going if people don't speak up? If we just continue to be silent, it's going to be too late. And, and these people that, that are scared to speak up, look, I take, I know I'm on the right track. I cop, I cop abuse. People will post the abuse publicly, but the, you know, like you're an idiot, you just want people to die, you want granny to die, all that kind of stuff. Um, they're very it's a very minority opinion that I'm getting I'm getting on social media and I cop a lot of shit on social media. It's it's maybe one out of ten. The problem is one out of ten will be negative, two out of ten will, will be positive posts, the other seven or six out of ten will post it to me silently, quote unquote. So they'll message me instead of post it publicly, and that just shows me that they're scared as well. Um, they're scared of losing business, like you said. They're scared of losing customers. They're scared. But if we all kind of, you know, can get more people voicing these kind of opinions and, and make it make it kind of the norm that you you know standing up for bullshit, like we're not we're not this is not right. Um, I think hopefully more people can do it. But it's just so hard where the government, you know, literally has their finger on every businesses and every corporation's um, button. And they can they can make life really hard for you if if you voice any any dissenting, you know, opinions about about the government, which at one time in history was was frowned upon. Well, okay, I I I I'll tell you straight up, mate. To be honest with you, like uh, you kept me awake last night. Um, so and it's not that's not normal for me. But I I, <laughs> I listened to your 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 uh, post three times. 
and I kept thinking about it. And I've been thinking about, and I, and I, I hope you don't mind, but this is the first time I've actually had this discussion about what I'm about to discuss and I'm going to have the discussion with you. I was thinking all night, I probably like every two hours thinking about this, and, uh, and I've been thinking about but but I also have been thinking about what is the real problem for me personally? What is the thing that's really pissing me off and, and how do I articulate it? What's the, the deep, the deep under underpinning fundamental basic thing that's shitting me about what's going on at the moment. Sure, I don't like the 11 a.m. meetings. I, don't, I can see premiers getting drunk with power where they ordinarily haven't been drunk with power. I can see uh, um, problems between federal and state governments. I can see, as you said earlier, governments don't give a shit as long as they're elected and if they're going to, if the election coming up, all of a sudden they're going to change the narrative, etc. Um, and everybody's doing what what it, they want to do to suit themselves, and it's all about public health issues, and it's no one no one's talking about mental health. And, but what's the real problem for me? And I'll, let me try this out on you. The issue is, I think, is that the reason people don't really speak out, and or they come to you in a private manner, is because the fundamental principle of freedom of speech, freedom of choice freedom of movement, freedom to protest, those basic rights are not legitimized in Australia. They're, we are one of the few countries, developed nations in the world that do not have a Bill of Rights. If you're in the United States where you play basketball, there is a Bill of Rights there. And the very first amendment to the US Constitution, which is part of the Bill of Rights, talks about freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of protest, freedom of religion, freedom, all these freedoms, basic fundamental rights that we are born with. We don't live in North Korea. You know, we are born with these fundamental – that's why we're here. That's why your parents left where they went to and they came to Australia. That's why my parents left – my old man left Greece because Greece was having a civil war and had just gone through the occupation of the German occupation. His family came to Australia. Australia to come to a free country where you had freedoms, where you weren't going to wake up in the morning because the communists were controlling Greece, which nearly happened, but for um, the intervention of Churchill. I mean, it did happen in, in Yugoslavia, um, and, and that's where people escaped because they wanted to have basic freedoms. And, and everyone thinks Australia's basic freedoms because it's been a lucky country, but we don't have basic freedoms. And this is one of the things that's come out of this pandemic is that we don't have basic freedoms. They're not enshrined in law like it is in the US. You take these freedoms away from the United States, people, Americans, mate, they will riot because they know what belongs to them. They know what they own. They know they have the right to protest, the right to bear arms. I'm not suggesting that should be one of ours, but they have these rights. We actually in Australia, we don't, we cop it sweet because we actually don't know what our rights are. I don't know what my legal rights are. I'm not going to go to the High Court or the Privy Council to establish the fact that you, the government, can't make me stay home. I mean, that's too hard. But if it's enshrined in a bit of law, it says, Mark Boris, you're a citizen of this country. You have the right of freedom of movement. Mark, you can go from your house in Sydney to your dad's house in Mossman, which is like, uh, you know, 15 kilometres away from where I live, on Father's Day to see your 87-year-old dad who lives on his own. You should, Mark, that is a basic freedom of movement and something you should be allowed to do. And no law ever from the Minister for Health or some Premier who's drunk on power should stop you from doing that. No law can do that. No, these are enshrined in legislation. So I wonder with Andrew whether the debate should be, let's move it away from um, whether you should be allowed to lock me down or whatever. Let's move it to let's have a debate, an open debate, as to whether or not we should have a Bill of Rights and that the next election, the federal election, that the government should put up a referendum to say to the Australian people, 
if you elect me, I'm the Labor guy or I'm the Liberal guy or the country party guy, national guy, if you elect me, I will in Parliament uh, put forward a vote that Australians should have one amendment, just one amendment to the Constitution, uh, the freedom of speech, the freedom of um, movement, freedom of religion, you know, that one freedom, that basic fundamental rights of all Australians so that next time there's something like this happens, when the health minister says, oh, I'm going to lock you down, he or she has to con- think about, hang on, hang on a minute, am I breaching the basic rights as enshrined in law of Andrew Bogart that I can, that he can go and visit his father or his grandfather who lives 15 kilometres away? And, and I wonder, what do you think about that as a debate? What do you think about that as maybe a solution? Because all of a sudden then all your celebrities are going to say, hang on, I don't mind saying this because this is a buddy right. I've got a right here. No one's going to object. What do you reckon about that? I mean, it makes sense on face value, but the way we change laws and add laws in this country on a whim is just mind-boggling. And I posted on my Instagram account, um, uh, Packer had a famous speech in Parliament when they took him to to court around him acquiring, um, was it uh, a newspaper company while he owned a TV company or vice versa, right, saying that, well, it's kind of, you know, it doesn't pass a pub test. And he's like, well, is it legal or not? I, I did everything to the law, but he made a valid point that saying, how about how about when you pass a new law, you you, you delete or take out a new, uh, an old one? Because we have, we, we're the most over-governed country in the world. Like, and it's not even close. Like, it's like you try to build a house. You get, try to build a house. Try to build a house these days. The, the hoops you got to jump through, the permits and the council and then this – Every layer you get through just full of bureaucrats and box tickers and just you're spending money left, right and centre just to build, a, you know, whether it's a dream home or a holiday house or a warehouse, whatever it is. That's a, that's a first example and it starts at a local government level. But you're totally right. We don't have a constitution. And my only argument against what you're saying is, yeah, you'd have a politician put in, you know, an amendment to the constitution and then three years later you'd have some banana come in and take it out. <laughs> you know, it's like... That's where we're at. Like nothing, you know, and we've slowly been um, dumbed down and eroded of our rights. This hasn't been something that's happened overnight. Um, we've slowly become a, a dibber-dobber nation, whether people like it or not. I can remember back in the day, I was still living in Australia before I went to um, the AIS and the University of Utah. There was the issue around um, water restrictions, I think in the, I think it was the late 90s, early 2000s. Then it happened again in the mid-2000s, but I still remember all the fear-mongering on TV, Today, Tonight, and The Current Affair and all those kind of shows, which, look, our family, my father would come home from work at 5.30, 6 o'clock. We'd have dinner on the table, Channel 7 News would be on, and they'd, they'd finish off with whatever was next, which was The Current Affair and Today, Tonight, probably the worst media you can watch because it's just, you know, it is what it is, right? But I remember it was all about dobbing on your neighbour for using their water outside of water restrictions. So what they did was they'd have... You could water your garden Monday, Wednesday, Friday between 9 and 11 in the morning and then 5 and 7. Anything outside of that, you're not allowed to use water. So it even got to my family where my mum would be like, oh, the neighbour's watering their garden on a Tuesday. I should report him. And I, I remember saying back then, like, why? Why do you why do you care, number one? And two, it's none of your business. If they want to water their garden at that time, oh, but the government says they can't do it. So this time now, it's going back to that. And it's clicking like this, this wasn't done overnight. This has always been a small issue that has just gone up in increments and now we're where we're at. Like like you said, you go and visit your, your, your aging father who's lonely and let's say you break the rules, there'll be someone there that'll see you and report you. 
And, and that's where we're at as well. We don't even need the police to do it. You know, the government's got people here so scared and where, look, I'm breaking some of the restrictions because they're not, they're not lawful. That's what people's mentality should be. I'm not, I'm not condoning now to go and have a party, but the fact that you can't, you don't have freedom of movement as a healthy person, you know, I'm a healthy person rolling around. I'm deemed like I'm carrying a virus, like I'm this big bad virus walking around. It's just mind-boggling we're at that point in our in our in our nation's history. And um, you know, it's kind of gone away from your question, but it just I just I just don't think Australia has that capability of putting in something like that and it's sticking. I think it'll just it's just gonna continue to chop and change. And, and the amount of the amount of laws they're passing right now, um South Australia, you, you don't have to, you know, if you're home quarantining or you get caught in a hotspot and you have to home quarantine, they're giving you an app on your phone where they can um, they can text you or I think it's they text you and you need to call the number within 15 minutes. They geolocate your phone to know that you're still in your house doing what you're supposed to do. And if you don't answer it, they're sending out the Gestapo to your house to potentially rip you out of your house and put you into a quarantine facility. Like, are we in Australia still? Like, it's just... You know, and that's that's there'll be people out there that will say, "Oh, it's perfectly fine, no, no issue with that." You shouldn't be breaking the rules. It's like, yeah, but you know, it's it's just crazy. We're at that point, and I, I just really struggle with it. And I'm not sure what the change is. And I cop shit a little bit about, well, what's the solution? What's the solution? I don't know, and that's a scary thing. That's why I continue to try and hold them accountable and, and make their their rules and laws sound as stupid as they are. Um, and then on the flip side, most of them, you see ScoMo flying into state for Father's Day. Most of them are breaking their own rules anyway, and you're leaving the everyday people to just be locked in their house. Well, I, I guess, I mean, that, that was a dumb thing that Scott did. I mean, I'd be honest with you, like, I mean, I, and I know him. I would tell him my, to you know, say the same thing. He would regret doing that. And, and by the way, I was a bit filthy because, you know, I, I didn't go and see my dad on Father's Day, um, the, and I, I wanted to go and see my dad. But like you said, my dad asked me not to come because he's worried – that a someone will recognise his son walking into his house, and uh, dad just doesn't want to get into trouble. Um, you know, he's a typical old old you know migrant, doesn't want to cause trouble, um, um, and he's worried about someone in the neighbourhood seeing me walk in there and saying, "Well, you know, like etc." So, um, but I think Scott's what Scott did was it, it was an error, and and like at the end of the day. He's gonna make he's gonna make mistakes, um, and I don't mind that. that that's okay. He'll, he'll 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 make mistakes as long as he cops it sweet, you know, and, and actually gets up and admits he made a mistake. I hate it when they run for cover and, as you, we talked about before, just double down or just go silent and say nothing. But that shits me no end. I'd rather get up and say, look, I, I stuffed up. I should have, I should have, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but for me, you know, there's politicians are human. Then the day they, I guess, they've got to protect their position at all stages. But in terms of the, the thing that I was putting to you, and I, I just want to be clear to, you know, everybody that may may end up hearing this, is that what I'm suggesting is if, if they hold a referendum and Australians say, yes, we want a, an amendment to the constitution and we amend the constitution, in other words, we change the constitution of this nation to enshrine some rights, I can tell you now um, that, and I've had this checked, that no government can change that. No government can change that ever, unless they have another referendum and the re- people of the people of Australia agree to vote. They agree in a referendum to get rid of that amendment. So once that amendment's in there, it's a bit like in America. You can't get rid of the amendment in the United States Constitution to the right to bear arms, unless everyone in America, the majority of people in America, vote in favour of changing that amendment. And that's the reason it's always been there. 
and it's never been changed. I'm saying if we enshrine into our into our constitution, our federal constitution, then no state can in introduce any law under our federal constitution that is in conflict with this one thing. And that's what I'm I'm pushing for that. But it'll never happen because politicians, don't, they're giving a power away. They're giving power away. And I doubt that very much that it'll ever happen. But I'd love to see people have this discussion, have this debate because for me, Andrew, um, I feel as though I feel as though people like you and me and other people who are, have influence in this country outside of politicians, I think we, and I'm struggling with it to be honest with you, but I think that we have an obligation to put into plain speak what it is that all the people who listen to us or who have followed us or bought a jersey or done anything in any way, shape or form that's had anything that's helped us, we have an obligation to put into plain speak what it is that's really bothering them. It's not just that they're locked down and it's unfair that they, they're they in the west suburbs of Sydney on a hot day and they can't go to the beach like the people in the east suburbs. It's not just that. I think it's it's something more than I think it's it's about basic rights. And therefore, and to put in place, what are the basic rights? I feel that's my obligation to um, explain what it is that people are feeling. And and look, you know, I might I'm not going to win any brownie point brownie points by doing this. And I'm going to uh, maybe I'm going to sound boring, and uh, and may never and probably I'll never achieve any of this. But for me, I'm going to continue on with this. I am going to continue to deep dive into. And to put it into writing and into a way that I can speak, what is it that's bothering the people who live in those suburbs who feel as though it's been unfair to them? Um, what is what what is what are the words? And uh, I would ask you, um, and I know it's a bit unfair because you haven't had time to think, but I've been thinking about this for eighteen months. But what do you think? It's what is it that's really bothering them that the people who you know who you talk to who want to hear what Andrew Bogus got to say. They look up to you. They admire you. Um, they trust you. Oh, man, I think it's a laundry list. I think even just the wording from politicians and premiers, like imagine being told you're not essential. Yeah. Like imagine. Like, hey, you're not, you're not essential, mate. Stay home. Like even just the wording around that has a connotation that's just it's just sickening. It's like you're, so not, you're not essential for yeah, language. You're, you're you're not essential for society. You can't you can't go and work. You're not you're not an essential job. Like just because what I work I work in a warehouse or I'm a labourer. I'm yeah. You're not essential. Society doesn't need you to work right now because of the virus. Just that wording alone is like, what are we? That that is an essential job for that guy because his two little kids need to eat. He needs to. Who's paying his mortgage if he loses his house and ends up on the street? Like, you hear that kind of rhetoric and you're like, hang on a second, I'm not essential. Then the next sentence is we're all in this together. And the next sentence is do the right thing. And it's like even just the wording is wrong. And I'm 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 more, you know, I'm honest and direct and put out what you're saying. And that's as blatant as can all be by the politicians. They're giving you the they're showing you their cards right there. They don't deem you everyday people as as essential in what they're what they're doing. And that's really concerning. And I can I can understand everyday people thinking that that's that's a load of shit, you know. I would argue that politicians aren't essential today, you know. Like half of them, I would argue that half, of, most of the public service isn't essential besides, you know, people in healthcare and whatnot. Like why, why, why are councils functioning right now? 
we don't need half the politicians like that aren't in power right now running on full salaries. And I, I made the same point as you about politicians need to take a pay cut. And I got smashed for that because there was idiots out there saying, oh, well, okay, so a politician takes a 50% pay cut. How is that fixing the virus? And to those people, I said that you're missing the point. It's got nothing to do with fixing the virus. It's you want to buy a bit more compliance. You want to buy people following the rules a little bit better that you're implementing. You want to have people actually see that you're, you have a human element to you and you really are in this together with everyone else. Take a, take a 50% pay cut during the pandemic and every time you call a lockdown, we'll trim another couple percent off and then you've got a little bit of skin in the game. Um, now, you're going from 600 to 300. Most people will say, oh, it's not a, not a big difference. It's a start though. And I think the perception of that for most people that are struggling would be like, you know what? At least they're having a crack and they're in the same pot of shit with us right now. And I guarantee you those lockdowns would end much sooner. I guarantee you those lock- lockdowns wouldn't be just done on a whim like they are today. I mean, they have no, no skin in the game to be affected by this financially. And, and let's not forget, they still get to go to work every day for their mental health. They get out of the house. They do these press conferences. They sit in these rooms and dictating what the whole of Australia is going to do on a day, or, or state is going to do on a daily basis. They're living a pretty normal life. Um, and that's, that's just, it's not right. I, I, I hope they see the hypocrisy they're spitting out. I don't think they do. But that's what most everyday people look at. So three things. One, the language of telling someone that you're not essential, that's, that's, that's a problem. The two... Um, by saying that um, we're all in this together, that's just absolute nonsense because clearly, you know, you're not taking the same amount of pain as I'm taking if you all get to go to work every day, socialise and earn your full whack, whereas me, my business, I, you know, I, you know I, I can't open my shop and haven't earned any money in, in Sydney here for like 12 weeks so far and I've got another four weeks to five weeks to go. So that we're not in this together. Um, there's just no way. Can I just go back to the essential thing? Because I really want to know what, what you're thinking here. So when you say to me um, that uh, that language to tell someone they're not an essential worker because they're a cleaner or a labourer in a factory or whatever the case may be, um, what do you think that makes someone feel? Like just, you're basically saying that you're not a useful member of society at this time and that's just disgusting. Like it's it's just point blank disgusting, you know. And, and, you know, there's no other way to put it. It's it's hey mate, you know we don't need you to function in society because there's a a virus going on. But you know McDonald's and Bunnings and that they can be open because they're they're important to our society. But just because you know you're, you're a cleaner or whatever you are, you know at one point in Victoria they stopped people from um, that mow lawns for a living. They ban- they stopped them because of the virus. It's like there's one job that can. <laughs> Be pretty safe within a pandemic. It's cutting lawns by itself. That's a story for another day with our government in Victoria. But it's just it's a, there's a harshness in that wording, and they tried the political spin around it. You know, essential, non-essential, blah. But I read straight to the point of essential. Like you can't. You're basically saying you're not essential. You're not essential human being. Your job, your job isn't essential for our society to function. So we don't need you right now. Just sit there and shut up. And when this when this all ends, we'll we'll let you non you know, non-essential people come back to, to society. That's how I read it. And I just don't think it's right. I think it's, right. it's wrong. It's totally unfair and I agree with you. And it's been, Andrew, 
I, I mean, I could talk to you for, for, forever on this stuff. I mean, I'd love to actually one day we'll, I'll be able to get down to Melbourne or you'll be able to get to Sydney and I'm going to come and have a beer with you and have a mag. 2026, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, I'll be 71. You're fucking joking. I'll, I'll be definitely in the, um, what do you call it, the age bracket where I'm most at risk. So they'll, someone else will come and they say, you can't fucking travel. But I, I, I really have enjoyed this conversation with you. And uh, to be honest with you, um, for me, um, this has been, you know, we talk about the word essential. In terms of language, this has been an essential conversation. This, this is really important to me. This has allowed me, and listening to your um, post last night over and over again, and then laying the thing about it all night, this has allowed me to articulate in my mind a number of things that um, I really don't like about this whole um, management of this so-called pandemic. And let's, let's assume it is a pandemic, but I just there's been things that I don't like about it and it's been allowed me to articulate in my mind, not about me because it hasn't really affected me. There's some things that piss me off but hasn't really affected me. But what I don't like is how it's affecting people I know, people in society. People could, It could have been, been Mark Boris growing up in Punchwell with a mum who worked in a hotel, a pub, which would have been closed down. And uh, so she couldn't earn the money. And my dad, who had two jobs, he was a milkman and he was worked in a factory, factory during the day as a labourer, both of which he wouldn't have been, probably wouldn't have been able to do, which means we would have been totally fucked. My family and my brother and sister and my mum's two sisters live with us and my mum's two brothers live with us. My dad's two brothers. Um, as a family, we would have been stuffed. And, uh, and, um, and I just think to myself, wow, um, I'm so lucky I, I, I'm, I got beyond that. But there's so many people, the majority of the population is probably suffering like that right now, both here in Victoria and Queensland and definitely here in Sydney. Um, and uh, it's so it's, it's awesome that, um, to be frank with you, that someone like you has, have brought the topic up. You put it in front of my mind and uh, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate your bravery for doing it. Um, there's nothing in it for you. So I appreciate that. Thanks very much, Andrew, Andrew Bogan. No worries, thanks for having me. Later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Jonathan Leondis. This is a mentored podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>